Thank you for listening to another episode of A Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. Before we start the episode, we would like to know that this episode contains some information about pregnancy laws and transracial adoption. If these topics are triggering to you, please feel free to skip this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. My name is Nicole Fowler. I'm the Director of Social Services at Adoptions from the Heart and your co-host for this podcast. Today, we have with us Emily Hoger. Emily is an adoptive mother from our central PA office and also a midwife. Emily adopted her daughter in 2019 with her husband. We want to take the time to talk to Emily to hear more about her professional experience as a certified nurse midwife, working with expecting parents, as well as how that has impacted her on her journey as an adoptive mother. Welcome, Emily. We are so happy to have you join us for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Emily, why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do in your professional role? I currently live in a small town in South Central Pennsylvania. Um, My husband and I moved here about 13 years ago for my job when I came out of uh, midwifery school. I attended that in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and we are both from the Midwest. So we have family back there. So we ended up in Pennsylvania and I took a job here as a practicing full scope, full-time certified nurse midwife. I provide care for patients in an office setting, which includes providing prenatal care, gynecological care, annual exams or well woman visits, contraception, infection, all the things that that we see that that people need assistance within the clinic. And then I also attend deliveries at our local community hospital. So my shifts are mixed between the outpatient, which is the office and inpatient, which is labor and delivery. Um, So I'm very lucky to practice in a super wonderful patient population, wonderful community here. And I really love getting to do what I do and also specifically with the families here in our community. And there's lots of, we have a great deal of diversity in our families and getting to provide care that is safe and empowering and supportive for everybody throughout their lifespan is really what I love to do. I've been in this field now for about 15 years. I can hear your passion for your community and those that you serve, and that is so appreciated. Tell us a bit about what inspired you to the role of supporting families during their pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum. I was always drawn to birth. I have, my mom has kept pictures that I drew when I was like four or five of me holding a baby. And I would write like a nurse can help a baby. And I was always very, very interested in pregnancy and birth. Then when I was in college, that kind of morphed into an interest more broadly in women's health and gynecological care. And when it finally came down to how my career was going to look, I decided I wanted to pursue midwifery as opposed to becoming a women's health nurse practitioner, which both are wonderful careers 
And I really wanted also to be able to encompass attending births into my, my repertoire. So when I first got into the field, loved everything about attending deliveries. I, I was super, super hungry to like be a part of that and just get to be hands-on everything, labor support, postpartum support, all the things. And it's been a, a really wonderful career for that. But I also have a lot of enjoyment with what I get to do out of the birth setting and caring for really people long-term because I now have patients that I've seen going through puberty in their young ages, young teens. Now I see them progressing into starting their own families or going on to careers and travel or whatever each person pursues. And it's really such a gift to get to be a part of that whole lifespan experience, much more than just attending a birth. It's a lifelong relationship, really. And my patients feel that and feel that I am their midwife. They know that I'm, you know, dedicated them, committed to them, here for them. And all of us deserve that kind of care. So I take that responsibility very, very seriously. Absolutely. And much needed and appreciated service. In your role, you have worked with expecting parents who plan to parent, as well as some who may consider all of their options to include adoption. Can you tell us a little bit more about different options that you have explored with your clients? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not uncommon. This is a conversation I have fairly frequently, and it generally happens when people are first seeking care when they become pregnant. So a person may find out that they're pregnant early on, come in quickly, want to have a conversation about their options. Sometimes people won't present to care until later. So the conversation changes a bit as pregnancies progress. So initially, if somebody comes to me and they are pregnant and they're considering perhaps not parenting, that conversation will include like, are you aware of all of your options? We'll discuss pregnancy termination. We, and follow-up care for that. We'll discuss a supportive adoption plan and the resources that are available for that. I often will refer people to adoptions from the heart to receive some counseling. And then we also talk about what would it mean for you to consider parenting? Is that something you want to do? Is it that you want to do it, but don't have the resources to do it? Is there something we can offer to help with that? How can we build up your supports so you can really make the very personal and right decision for you and your body at this time in your life in a way that I'm not connected to the decision that you make? Because even though I am a person who's gone through trouble having pregnancies of my own or carrying pregnancies. And now as a mom who has had a child through adoption, I really do not struggle to be very, very neutral and patient-centered in these situations. And I wondered if that would change over time with my experience with everything, but I think it's really only strengthened my feeling that in these situations, we like what somebody needs is care and support and a listener and somebody who presents them with all of their facts and all of their options and supports them through all that decision-making and also supports them in changing their mind because they may make a plan and it sounds really good, but we all need time and space to weigh even decisions that are not as big and monumental and life-altering as these. So allowing time, space, and really like centering the person who, the woman who's carrying the pregnancy and 
her family members, if there's a partner or a birth father who's involved as well, just supporting and centering everybody, advocating for their voice to be heard in whatever decision. And as a professional who also provides options counseling, I think it is so vital to hear different options, even though they might be the same that we're listening about from different perspectives, different professionals um, with an unbiased and recognizing where there would be potential bias. And I appreciate your work with that as that takes time to recognize there might be something here. And no, actually, I believe in all options and that's what adoptions from the heart, our values are as well. And so I appreciate your coming at that from a different perspective. And I'm sure the care that you have given your patients, they have appreciated that perspective as well. Can you describe a particularly memorable expecting or birth parent experience that stands out in your career? Part of the thing that's that's funny is there's almost always like every week, every day, every shift, there's something new that I could share. That was an incredibly meaningful, like my, my shift last night, yesterday and last night I delivered, I attended the births of four babies and they were all so different. They were all so incredible and special and with their unique challenges and unique family components. And it's, it's really funny because I always feel very proud of my patients in very specific ways that I think come out throughout pregnancy and, and delivery. And women are incredibly strong and incredibly brave. And you see them making these choices that are impossible um, for the well-being of their child um, and really keeping doing their best and keeping their child sort of at the forefront of everything they go through. And it's just incredible. It's incredible to watch what people do to go through this process and to bring a child safely into the world. It's, it's, it's sometimes unspeakable, the things that people go through. It's so monumental and they do it and they survive it. I feel like at the end of every delivery, I am like hyping up the mom. I'm like, look at what you just did. You like, you did that. And every single time there is that feeling of like, you did that. It's incredible. You know, whatever the situation is going to end up being with parenting or adoption placement or whatever, bringing a child into the world and giving such sacrifice of your body and your mind and everything is just beyond words. And the fact that people do it all the time, this is just like what happens. And then I get to like be there and witness it and help um, hopefully support and empower a lot of, I think a lot of people do feel really empowered after getting through, or maybe even thriving through such a big experience. And I, I really, really love that when people are like, yes, I feel, I am so proud of myself. Like I'm a queen. Look what I just did. I love all of that. And through those experiences, are what are some things that you have learned in working with expecting and birth parents that would be helpful for agencies, prospective adoptive parents, anyone to understand about the expecting and birth parent process? I think one of the, the big things that comes to mind for me is fear. If we have a birth parent who is making adoption plan for their child, respecting that and not having fear of the choices that the decisions that may come from that. Um, I think there is a lot of fear. I hear that both from people who are pregnant and considering their options and also people who are 
wanting to support people through this process and additionally people who are considering adopting. And so people ask me quite frequently lots of questions like, how could somebody not parent their child? How could somebody give birth to a child and then not choose to parent? I, I don't understand. I've had children and I don't understand how, how that could happen. Or how could you have any relationship with a birth family if you're an adoptive parent? Don't you feel threatened? Don't you feel fear that the family will come back and take the child? Like these are, these are very, very common questions that I get. Like right when somebody asks me about my family and my life, I think it's based in just a total lack of understanding of the adoption triad and the ecosystem. And also just like what can be, how you can work really hard to make a good environment and a good situation and a good family for a child that has room for everybody to love the child. Um, and there is no such thing as too much love for a child. So like somebody else, like if you're parenting, so if you're the adoptive parent and you're parenting this being that you just like everybody does with their children, love and cherish and prize above anything else in your life. And then there's people who also love your child in that way. So there's maybe your partner, there's your extended family, there's their birth family. I think being open to receiving all of that love and benefit for your child can outweigh the fears that we have about the situation, even though those fears are there for a reason. I think some of the hardest feelings that I've worked through is um, when we, so we had a disappointment where we were matched and we were matched very early. So we had a relationship with the birth mom for about 16 weeks of her pregnancy. So from about midway to the end, and we got to know her and kind of made this whole relationship and everything. And then um, when she had her baby, she had us come in and meet the baby and spend some time, but then she decided that she would parent. So, you know, that, that is a painful situation. That is a loss. And sometimes it's a loss on top of other losses that you've had. So these are feelings that are real and need to be addressed and managed. I work very hard to manage my own mental health. I have a lot of support. I have a therapist that I've had a relationship with for years and years. I'm so privileged to have access to things like that. And I think that we can manage those, but I was able to move forward with an appropriate management of my fear into our next match, which ended up being my daughter that, that we're parenting now. And that situation was better. It was very well suited for us. And we had a, a very, very great relationship with our, our birth mom. So it ended up being better. And I think um, just having an appreciation of that and approaching it in a very birth parent centric way that centers the person that is losing the most in this equation, really centering them throughout the experience, setting your fears aside and knowing that you have all of this to gain, but it's in their loss. So as you go forward in this relationship, being mindful of that, being respectful, manage your own feelings about it and, um, and understand that it's really only a gain if there is involvement. If your child's birth family or birth parents or everybody wants to be involved, that is only a gain for you and your child. And you can just facilitate that 
and support that for your child, holding that door open for them. And then hopefully as they age, the reins will be, you know, taken. And I have hopes that our daughter will have even outside of us a good relationship with her birth family. So just trying to like keep the door open and facilitate for that along the way. Well said, well done. And uh, what a way to honor your child and your child's birth family. Can you share about any experiences as a midwife that also impacted your support of birth parents and open adoption? Yeah, I have seen many patients through this experience and it's entirely different. The role that I usually play in this situation um, in my job is I am the birth parents advocate. So it was very different to switch over into sort of adoptive parent role because I feel this deep empathy and understanding for birth parents. So I have seen many patients through experiences where they maybe have made an adoption plan. There might be a waiting family at the hospital and that person is like, this is not what I want anymore. I want to parent. So making that happen, supporting them through this, letting them know that this is valid and real and it is okay and even really, really good to be able to feel like you're disappointing other people if you're not disappointing yourself. When I see patients in the office who are pregnant and they've made an adoption plan, I do, I try to do a fair bit of check-ins throughout the pregnancy. Like how is your heart? How, how are you feeling about your plan? Do you feel like you need to make a change? Do you feel like if you needed to do that, you know how or you you could stop this process if you needed to and you're not like sort of on this train that's keeping going with with you being like hey I think I think this isn't right just being an advocate and an ally for them during that experience like that is that's where a lot of my heart has been and and also I've, I've done that I've had that experience with many people throughout my whole career and I just entered into adoption as an adoptive parent Five years ago. So I have this like birth parent, hopefully centric experience. So when we started considering adoption, which was after we'd gone through a lot of infertility stuff and set all that to the side, close that chapter. And then it was like, okay, so is this right for us to enter into? And also do we think we can do it well? And it was lots of exploring, lots of, lots of education that we received, lots of counseling, all of which was very, very helpful. And again, so grateful and really, we were very privileged to have access to all of this. For me, the question of openness in adoption, it was never a question. I was like, whatever the birth parent wants and the more openness, the better. So like, yeah, I would love to come to as many visits as you are open to. I would love to have you be a bigger part of our child's life as you are able to. To me, it just doesn't make sense. I cannot make it make sense to do it any other way. So in our relationship with, with our daughter's birth family, there are periods of like more contact, less contact. It, it may wax and wane per the needs of her birth mom. And that is entirely appropriate. And, and we are here for all of it. You're the parent. You're there to support your child. You're there to, to love them through whatever, help them through whatever you're going to, you're going to make it good for them. You know, I think we can help our kids with a lot and probably do it better if we also have some, some knowledge and openness with 
birth families. And even with your experience with parents, birth parents who made adoption plans, you, you and your husband still took the time to consider, is this right for us? Educate yourself, go to different resources. That's, that's the way to do it. It is. I mean, truly, I felt like we, it was learning a new language and switching over entirely into a different emotional bandwidth. And I felt like, you know, it's sort of adoption just comes out of so much loss for, for birth parents and knowing, bearing that pain for them and knowing that like your happiness comes from somebody's loss or somebody's pain often, maybe not always, but often all of that is, is hard and it's right to feel that it's hard. It's right to feel that it is sad. We should not be immune from the losses that are impacting our family. I've also tried to maintain very, very good boundaries. I am actually not our child's birth mom's midwife. I'm not her midwife. I'm not her confidant. I'm not her counselor. I try to really maintain the role of I am our child's mother. And I try to show her that, that our daughter's, that she's thriving. And I think that's what she needs to know from me. I have reached out and sometimes I stop myself from reaching out, (laughs) but I sometimes want to be like, are you okay? Tell me everything. I'm here, you know, give it, I can hold it if you need somebody to, but like that's presumptive and, and not necessarily the role that I'm supposed to play here. So really trying to like hope and trust that she has good support for herself in that way and maintaining our roles, maintaining boundaries, a way that's healthy. All of that is a lifelong learning thing. And navigating appropriate boundaries without being on a spectrum of too rigid or too open when some maybe somebody needs to help with those things is protecting your family and your adoption triad. And it sounds like you're doing a wonderful job navigating that and it is a lifelong process. Can you tell us if you've navigated navigated any conversations about adoption with your child yet? Yeah, it's been a conversation really from the beginning. We've had lots of books about adoption. We had a family book right away that had pictures of her birth family in it and our family. And it was everybody with her. So her birth mom holding her, her biological brother with her, my parents holding her, you know, so it was, she was present in all the pictures with all these key family members. And she looked at that, you know, as soon as she could pick anything up, she would look at that and just look at it. And we would talk about it and she could say, birth mom. That was one of our first words. We have had visits with our daughter's birth mother. And so she also has a context for like who she is. You know, she's like had actual interactions with her. We've videoed or set up Zoom, stuff like that. But she knows, she knows who she is. The harder conversations that have come from that so far are not like, why don't I live with my birth mom? Like that is not that has not come up yet, but she does ask why doesn't birth mom come to my house? Like, why hasn't she seen my room? Why hasn't she met my Grammy? Why doesn't she come to see me more? Why don't I get to see her more? I like seeing her. I feel sad when I don't see her, you know, like stuff like that. Very appropriate. I think to her age and her understanding of who people are. So like in her world, the important people to her love to spend a lot of time with her. And so navigating that with the utmost honor and respect 
for her birth mom and what she may be going through, trying not to assume if we have a period of she drops out of contact, doesn't respond to our messages. We've had times where we've tried to set up a visit and we go um, to where our daughter was born and where her birth family still lives. We go there for a vacation every year and we go there regardless, like whether we're going to see them, whether we're not, but we go and we go like, Hey, we're here. If it works for us to see you during this visit, we would love to, and we'll come to you and we'll, we'll make it work. And if not, we'll try next time. The door is always, always open. And so navigating that for our daughter, a visit it may happen, but it may not. And we don't know why. It's not that she doesn't want to see you or she doesn't love you or, you know, want to play with you all the time. <laughs> like she totally does. <laughs> She's thinking about you. She loves you so much, but we don't know who knows what's happening. So it's okay. She still loves you. It's not that she doesn't. Navigating through that and helping her through that, you know, pain or sadness or those feelings. And it can be hard, I think, to manage your own feelings about that. Oh man, that's a loss for her. And that's really sad. You know, just, you don't want it, your child ever to be hurt or disappointed, but keeping it in the right context of understanding why this is happening and understanding that like, it's not somebody being careless. It's not somebody who's actively seeking to hurt, trying to understand that we actually don't understand and can't understand how she's feeling about this at this particular point in her life on any given day. And the pain may be so great or whatever, it may not be, but who knows? And so not trying to project, not trying to assume, just letting it be what it is, but leaving the door open and helping our child navigate through periods of more contact and periods of less, supporting her through all of, you know, letting her feel her feelings about all of that. She's also recently started asking questions. They've been few and far between, but we don't have any contact with her birth father or knowledge or a picture of him. We have nothing. That is very, that's, that's starting to come up as just like a big question mark for her that she doesn't really like to have a question mark in that spot. So she's like, will I ever see my birth dad? Why would he not come to see me? Does he know about me? And then the other day, a picture came up of her and her birth mom when we'd had a first birthday party all together when she turned one. And she said, mommy, mommy, look. So we have a Google and a Google home screen thing. And it cycles pictures all the time. So she's like, mommy, mommy, look. And I was like, oh yeah, there's a picture of you and your birth mom. And she was like, oh, I thought it was going to be me and my birth dad. Despite the fact that I've been like, we don't know him. You've never met him. I really hope that you do someday. And we're going to, again, leave that door open. But she feels a lot of loss and pain from it. And there's been moments where, you know, she might be really tired or it's like late at night, whatever. And she'll just cry and be like, I want to see my birth mom. And you just navigate that with them and you bear that pain for them and you support them, get them lots of therapy, just a lot, a lot of love. And like, we're in the middle of this story unfolding. So like, this is not the ending. There's lots of life left to be lived. This, you know, hopefully is going to be a lifelong and maybe mostly good story for her or maybe not, but, you know, just holding, holding that, holding everything for her, helping her learn how to hold it herself. That brings up so much of the fear that you were talking about earlier, I think with prospective adoptive families and some, you, because we hold our children's pain for them and not see them hurt, thinking that maybe not addressing any of this is the best way, yes. but acknowledging your children's feelings is because they're going to have these thoughts, whether they share them with you or not. We want them to provide, we want to provide the space for them to be able to share this as much as it's going to hurt us to not 
have every answer. Yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, the agency, our counselors, the literature, the data, like that's what everything supports as being therapeutic for a child that has suffered a loss or some trauma, which adoption is. Even though Sophie has been in our life since the day after she was born, there's still, this is trauma. This is her lifelong trauma that is going to affect her development and her brain and everything. So if we just like, you know, in in the day-to-day, it doesn't feel good and it doesn't necessarily feel like you're doing it right. But the hope is that you're just maintaining that. And so someday you will see the fruits of that. And just in hopes that her life then will be a bit better because you did do these things that are supposed to be helpful. And, and I see the temptation. I mean, many days, there's such a temptation to just gloss over all of this and be like, no, 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 we have a wonderful life. Look, Christmas, look, Hershey Park, all the toys you could ever want. You could so easily just try to toxic positivity your way through a childhood. And it's so, it's so tempting to want to do, to not dig into those moments and just to be like, well, I don't know, but she, your birth mom loves you. And you know, it's so great because you're happy with us and we're going to be happy forever. Best family ever. <laughs> like, it's just like, we do have moments like that. We have moments where we're like, that we love our family. We're so, I mean, we are like so ridiculously happy. And so we're so grateful that we get to be a part of your life. We're so lucky that we get to see your life of holding and be a part of it and have you be a part of us, you know, all of that, like there's so much good. You have to hold the pain too. And you can't, we can't always stick our heads in the sand and not be open to it. And yeah, again, I'm still learning and growing and, you know, hopefully figuring out how to do it better and doing it better all the time, making lots of mistakes along the way. Parents that question themselves and questions the the decisions that they have made or are going to make, make the best parents because they recognize that perfect in all of this. We're all learning together. And it models that for our children too. Like, absolutely. I do not have all the answers. Look, I messed that up. I don't like how I did that. I don't like how I said that. Can we try to redo that? I am just feeling really off today. I'm having a bad day. Do you ever have bad days? Like, you know, just all of it, just being like, I am a bit of a mess figuring it out too. And you're four and you feel that way too. And yeah, hopefully that helps our, our kids know that this life is like not hard because you're doing it wrong. It's hard because a lot of it is hard. In addition to gains and losses through the adoption triad with circumstances of birth families or adoptive families, there's also cultural history and racial background that come into many adoptions that are transracial. Can you share any challenges that you've experienced and how you embrace and celebrate differences within your family? Opening up to the possibility of adopting a child that was not our same race. That was also something that was a very long, involved decision-making process. Lots of processing, lots of learning and unlearning, understanding completely that this is by far the ideal situation. And in fact, is a situation fraught with lots of potential pitfalls. We decided that they would that we would leave the the door open to that. And so when we filled out our profile key and all that, we said that we were open to a child of any racial background. And so our daughter's mixed. Um, she is so her birth family that we have contact with, her birth mother, they're black and her birth father is white. And so Sophie looks 
entirely different than than we do from the very very beginning there was never I mean I never would have had this temptation but there was very much never the temptation of should we tell her because very evident from the very beginning that she did not come from us and very evident when people you know see us out and about so we live in a pretty small town that has a lot of its own struggles racially as most places do in America and being understanding of that realizing so my husband and I both came from very very white backgrounds raised in small towns where even most of our, our schools were white and really the people that like surrounded us there's a lot of unlearning that I do in myself every single day a lot of internalized anti-blackness a lot of all of it <laughs> just all of it it's in me it's it's as bad in me as it is in any white person. And again, I think this is sort of like a systemic problem uh, in America. So that's the that's the sort of like understanding that I've come to. We've done lots and lots, my husband and I both, and actually all of our families, my mom who watches Sophie, all of our families have gotten involved with racial equity groups in our community. We're part of a group called Racial Reconciliation that is for the promotion of diversity and the celebration and inclusion and support of marginalized communities, particularly communities of color. We also are personally always reading and discussing and listening to podcasts. And this is like an everyday conversation that has been ongoing in our household since we adopted Sophie. So it's kind of woven into everyday life that how the world, you know, may see Sophie and how her experience may be, may be different from, it will be different from the, the experience that we have had, my husband and I have had and still have in the world and why the world might see her differently than they do us and what that means for her safety and well-being, how to be so confident and strong in her identity. However, she ends up really strongly identifying with her, her Black heritage and culture as a mixed race individual. However, she forms her identity and embraces different parts of her identity. I really hope that she comes to have some sort of sense of her, her own hold over her Blackness. We try to promote this with lots of mentors in her life that are Black. We try to attend spaces with lots of people of color. Again, the organizations that we're part of are part of like furthering racial, racial justice. And we have lots of conversations with people of color and also parents of children in our community who are not white, and then also those children as well. So we hear a lot about what it's like to be a Black person here and what it's like to be maybe a Black kid in this community with a white parent. And we take it all in and we kind of like try to guide and form the support that we provide to her and her exposure to um, just sort of help her understand and, and start to form a concept of that. So we celebrate her skin. We celebrate her hair. We have lots and lots of books about this. We watch lots of shows with diverse characters, particularly Black role models and Black female role models. And we celebrate Blackness in our house. We celebrate the achievements of Black people. We talk about Black heroes all the time. We, you know, talk about it sort of like as a superpower that she gets to have and, and be a part of. And also something that is going to be heavy to, to bear 
at times. So just trying to like provide space and do all this well, all of my words on this are not, again, particularly graceful. And I do not present this as we have all the answers and we're doing this well, we're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to, but since adopting her, I've, I've come even into more of an understanding of like situation is really sad and hard for her. There are a lot of spaces that we go to where she's the only person of color. We talk about this so much. We, we feel the heaviness of it. We, we consider moving to more, you know, diverse areas with even more black role models for her. We, not that there aren't lots in our community, but there potentially could be, you know, greater racial experiences for her maybe elsewhere. I don't know. I mean, although my black friends here are like, it's like this everywhere. <laughs> There's no place that's better. So like, Fair. You know, we're kind of working to improve things in our community, but we're also both pretty active in advocacy. So we try to like advocate for things to be better. We vote, we call our legislators, we protest, we, you know, we do all these things. And we also kind of try to help her, the people around her and her teachers, things like that, people like that, who up until this point, like her school teachers, her nursery school teachers have all been white. And so we've had at the beginning of the school year, I wrote a letter that I gave to her teachers that was basically like, this is how we embrace and call out and recognize and celebrate her blackness. And we would love if you could incorporate books that do that in your classroom. We would love if you could incorporate books about black accomplishments, not including just like surviving slavery. We would love it if you could make ensure that she has, you know, the right paper and markers for her skin tone. Please ensure that nobody touches her hair ever. And you know, helping people understand why this is important because there's been pushback on some of this where people are just like, you know, her teacher will be like, we don't let kids touch each other. Like, I don't understand. And I'm like, no, whenever. So there are certain styles that my daughter prefers, particularly if she has her hair out, if we don't have it in a protective style and it's out, it is like a magnet to, to white children that just are drawn to it. It is moss to a flame. So last year in her first year of nursery school, she came home one day and she was like, mommy, everybody kept trying to touch my hair. And I told them, don't touch my hair because we have, we have that book, don't touch my hair. So she like, had this, you know, knowledge of like, this could be a thing that happens and it may make you feel weird. And if it makes you feel weird, this is why. And you do have the right. And in fact, always should say like, don't touch my body. Don't touch my hair. Go to your teacher. If kids are not hearing you, you don't have to do this alone. But then also I have to get teachers on board to understand this is important. So anyway, this year, this thing came up and I sent her to school with her hair out in big puffs. And I told her teacher when I dropped her off, please make sure that nobody touches her. And she was like, so taken aback. And I said, just please. And then later that night, Sophie was like, nobody tried to touch my hair. And I was like, well, good. Yeah. Absolutely. Another never ending journey as an adoptive parent, as a human, as a citizen of the United States. Thank you for those suggestions too. I think those are very helpful to prospective adoptive parents. And it's always starting with recognizing our bias. And I, I appreciate you bringing us through to this childhood and you have to protect your child still. Yes. And I think too, I would, I would really encourage people if you are going to be in a family that has any sort of transracial relationship or component to get involved in local and national organizations to advance justice for particularly your family member. Like get involved in that on an advocacy level. It's going to be very eye-opening. It's going to help you learn stuff that you did not even know you needed to learn. 
And it has helped connect us with so many wonderful role models for our daughter, Black people in our community who care about her and her well-being. The way that she is celebrated whenever we are out in the community, particularly by Black folks. There are Black people that are always celebrating her, even looking out for her. I see if we're out in, in a really public space and say we're at like the public pool, she's a major swimmer. She started swimming right after she turned four independently in the deep water. She's out there, no floaties. She's, you know, under the water. She's just like a fish. And so many times we'll be in the pool and there'll be a black person just seeing this black kid swimming and no black, uh, no other black people inside. They're like, well, this one's not mine. Who else is around? It's just me, you know, this like random white lady and just being like, is everything okay here? And it is such a gift to have a community that is looking out for the well-being of children. I don't know that that's specific to Sophie being Black because I think at least in our community, Black folks are very, very attuned to the safety and well-being of children. And they're kind of always being mindful of that in a way that I don't necessarily always see white folks doing. I think it's lovely, but to see her be celebrated by older people in her Black community is is really lovely. And I hope it's going to help foster, even though the fear and probably the likelihood is that she may never feel entirely at home in any space, in white spaces, in Black spaces. So she's part of a white space now, but she's not white. She can, as she grows and as we continue to facilitate this, have a connection with her Black culture, her Black heritage, her Black community. She's also been steeped in whiteness within her family. So it, I mean, these challenges feel insurmountable, but at least you know, at least it's real and you know it and you face it head on and you look it in the face and go like, okay, this, yeah, this is terrible. And we're going to try to make it better for you, trying to make the world a better place and help you form the fullest sense of your identity in whatever way that ends up looking like for you in a way that we're not a part of it. We do not need to be a part of your relationship and your cultural identity. We don't need to horn in on that. You can go to Black spaces. You can exist in that without us bringing our whiteness into that. Like I want her to have this full experience of being surrounded by and lifted up by Black people. And I want to facilitate that. But again, I'm I'm not coming in to be part of that. I'm not coming in to take from that or steal from that. I, I want her to have that as part of her life, understanding that that probably is a part of her life that I'm not going to be a part of. And that's as it should be. And again, as a mother, as a parent, as an adoptive parent, as somebody, a part of the adoption triad, you putting your feelings aside for the best for your child and for her, all of her family in the full adoption triad. You sharing your experiences here. I know I'm not alone in saying thank you so much. This has been so valuable to hear your professional experiences and your personal experiences and how you're learning every day and you're going to continue to do so. Is, is there any Anything else that you would like to share with any prospective adoptive parents or expecting parents who might be considering adoption? I don't think so. I hope degree of this, of, of me sharing my experience is helpful to, to someone. And if it's not, please discard whatever doesn't feel true to you or feel helpful to you. We probably could include some trigger warnings about 
you know, talking a little bit about pregnancy loss or, you know, transracial adoption, like, you know, these, these things can be heavy to, to hear about. And I think if any of this, like whatever you're feeling as you go through your experience, whether you're a birth parent or a prospective adoptive parent, really take good care of yourself and be a good steward of your emotions and seek therapy, seek counseling as much as possible. Hopefully, you know, get a really good therapeutic relationship with somebody that can help you through some of these, these big things. There is a a fund out there for counseling specifically for black people or black women and girls. I think it's called like the black therapy fund or something like that. And I believe that it's also trying to place black women with like black therapists. So I think we need more of that. And I love those connections. Reach out to people that are also going through your similar experiences, people that can can be good, good supporters for you as, as you go through. Right. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for sharing your insights with our listeners. And to our listeners, thank you again for joining us for another episode of Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. Share with us any future topics you would like to learn about. And also please rate and subscribe to this podcast. If you have not already, head over to our website at www.afth.org for more information on our services for pregnant people, prospective adoptive parents and professionals looking to learn more about adoption. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to connecting again. And Emily, again, thank you so much. This, this was so insightful. Thank you.